1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul continues to answer the questions that he had written to him concerning marriage, and here specifically he addresses those who are not married. As we look to the reading of God's word, if you'd join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we meet now in your presence, we would ask that you would open our ears to hear your voice, that you would open our hearts to love you more and more, that you would open our souls to receive your word in its fullness, that your Son, Jesus, the word made flesh, would be glorified and honored in our lives, for it is in his name that we do pray. Amen. Beginning in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they have none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of the world is passing away. The word of the Lord. Lottie Moon, Southern Baptist missionary to China. John Stott, prominent evangelical minister and author in the United Kingdom. Lilius Trotter, artist and missionary to North Africa. Gresham Machen, Presbyterian seminary professor who championed Christian theology in a very hostile environment. Eunice Pike, Bible translator to the Mazatec Indians of Mexico. All of these were unmarried Protestants from the 20th century who did great work for the kingdom of God, largely because of being single. The historical list for prominent single Christians is a very large one. Small sampling. Augustine, Macrina, Anselm, Hildegard of Bingham, Francis of Assisi, Teresa of Avila, Thomas Aquinas, Mother Teresa, and there are thousands of others. Church history is filled with missionaries, monks, ministers, translators, scholars, and an army of lay men and women in all kinds of occupations whose singleness fueled their work. And as Protestants, it's important for us to know this. We tend to devalue, to de-emphasize the role of singleness in kingdom work. It's often seen as a stage of life that must be gotten through or endured only if necessary. However, the Apostle Paul did not hold such an anemic view for the unmarried. He considered it actually a high bar to attain for those who could. For what was most important to Paul was that whatever your circumstances, whatever case you found yourself in, that you were to live with the end in sight, to live for Christ. And because we have been bought with the price and that we are not our own, our lives are to be spent for the Lord. So far, Paul has, in this chapter, has addressed those who were married to unbelievers, spouses who had left them, those who were wanting to leave their spouses, those who were widowed, those who were slaves. And now he addresses four more groups of people who are all unmarried. And what is common with the Corinthians across the board 
is that most of them wanted something different. They wanted to be in a different place. Singles wanted married, marrieds wanted single, and some just wanted somebody different. And as we look at the whole of chapter 7, we recognize that it's a difficult chapter. It's easy to misunderstand what Paul is saying because so much of what he's saying is nuanced very carefully. One writer put it this way, put this in your bulletin. He said, for those who Christian faith demands and is synonymous with a worldly agenda for aggressive social change, the way of Paul will appear embarrassingly weak and irrelevant. For those for whom Christian faith demands the development of their interior piety first and foremost, the way of Paul will appear to be substandard, a worldly compromise. It's okay to have the status quo except when you don't have the status quo. Well, how do we know when to switch? Wisdom. It's hard to live by wisdom. It's hard to live in the tension that biblical wisdom creates for us. And Paul is giving us this tension, this nuance of what it looks like to be married or not married. Last week, Pastor John uh, gave us a very helpful categories from Dan Doriani of stay unless... Because stay in whatever position you find yourself, unless you can't, because there can be good reasons to change. Stay single, unless you're struggling with sexual desires, then marry because it's no sin. Stay married, unless your spouse leaves you, because we're called to live at peace. And Paul now is a uh, is addressing different groups of unmarrieds with the very same idea. These questions of to marry or not to marry. And he begins in verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, meaning that the Lord Jesus didn't specifically address this. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Uh, that word betrothed there, it literally in, in the Greek is virgins. Uh, it can be a little confusing in the ESV on this part because not everyone is necessarily engaged, but, but certainly some were I think the view of the present distress is good for a person to remain as he is. Immediately, it's what's the present distress? What's the present crisis? Because that sort of frames everything he's saying. And, and through the ages, there hasn't really been a consensus on what Paul is referring to. Some think it is the urgency of living in the last days. But that word for distress or crisis, it usually is something more immediate and temporary. Widespread persecution would be that, but that doesn't take place yet for probably another two decades. Likely it's referring then to a famine or something specific to Corinth, some sort of issue that came up but was more centered around them. In the book of Acts, chapter 11, we read there, it says, one of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. Well, that famine predicted by Agapus did happen, and it's around 45 to 48 AD, which is the time of Paul's letter. So it could be during this famine that he's writing this, because during a famine, during hardship, bringing children into the world makes things very difficult for families. Be similar if you were talking to someone from the Ukraine to say, you know, you hold off starting a family until this invasion is passed because of the challenges that would be there. So it's a similar counsel. Leon Morris, New Testament scholar, he says, when high seas are raging, it's no time for changing ships. 
And Paul then goes on. Are you bound to a wife? Is the Jewish way of saying you're married? Don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. If you do marry, you have not sinned. But if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have many worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So given the external circumstances, famine or something else, Paul's advice is, for the time being, stay unmarried. And then in verse 36, I know some translation differences here, but the same advice. If anyone thinks he's not behaving properly towards the betrothed, his passions are strong, let him do as he wishes, let him marry. It's no sin. But then he goes on to say, if he's establishing his heart, he's under no necessity, he's able to control himself, then stay single. He will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Stay single unless you're not able, then marry because it's no sin. Stay single if you're able because current hardships will make life very difficult. And then Paul ends it out saying a wife is bound to her husband as long as she lives, but if her husband dies, she's free to marry whom she wishes, only in the Lord. Now we've already seen it's not an absolute statement. There are permissible reasons for divorce. But then he ends in verse 40. Yet in my judgment to this widow... She's happier if she remains as she is. And I think I too have the Spirit of God. So Paul, in these circumstances, is saying, I think it's better that she would remain single. To keep this in perspective, in 1 Timothy 5, written much later, Paul is writing to Timothy, the young pastor, and he tells him this, I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their household, and give no occasion to the adversary for slander. So giving wise pastoral counsel to two different situations, he has a different set of advice. It's not a one-size-fits-all. And some people are perplexed by that, but that's how life comes at us. We take the freedoms that we are given in the gospel and apply it to our circumstances. And this is what Paul is doing. Married life is the norm of the church, the norm of humanity. There may be times to consider not marrying, And for those who are like Paul, singleness is actually preferred for ministry. Why? Why all of this? Because we are called to a kingdom mindset. And this is easier if you're at peace with yourself, if you're at peace with being single. Remember, it's not a gift of singleness if you don't want to be single. It's a burden, it's a struggle to be endured. Paul's saying... If that is not a struggle for you, be as I am. There's a blessing in serving the kingdom this way. But overall, it's still a mindset. It's a kingdom mindset for both groups of people. And he further explains his point in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. Now, what Paul says in other places in 1 Corinthians 15 and other writings, he's not thinking that Jesus is coming back in the next few months or even the next few years. It is not a quantity issue, it's a quality issue. Regardless of the quantity of time, how much is remaining, we're called to live with a certain quality of time. One writer put it this way, to say that time is short is not to say that any given generation will not live a full lifetime, meaning that 
You won't live it out because Jesus is going to return. But there is no generation of believers that is exempt from the responsibility to give themselves fully to the work of God, knowing their labor in the Lord is not in vain. That's a quality of time. We live our lives with a quality that says, I'm living for the Lord with the time that he has given to me. And Paul goes on, he goes, from now on, those who have wives should live as though they have none. Now, again, he's saying this in a context. He's not saying neglect your duties because he goes right ahead and says, you have to maintain your responsibilities. It's the mindset he's speaking of. And he carries that further. Those who mourn as if they're not mourning. Those who rejoice as if they're not rejoicing. Those who buy as if they have no goods. Those who deal with the world as if they don't deal with the world. Where the present world is passing away. All of this is to give us a sense of urgency in serving the Lord. Keep your eye on the prize. Keep your eye on the end. And Paul says, in doing so, verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife, as he should be. It's, it's not a critique. He's just saying that's a reality. His interests are divided. The unmarried man or the virgin woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about the worldly things, how to please her husband. Paul says you have an obligation and responsibility to maintain. No one can just say, you know, I'm going to follow the Lord and just figure it out on your own because I'm gone. No, that's wrong. And there has been some through history that have done that. Just checked out of their marriage, of their children, their home. See, I'm going to serve the Lord. No, you're not serving the Lord. Because if you're married, if you have a family, your responsibility to serve the Lord is first and foremost there. You don't get a check out. And Paul is saying to us that there, there is a division that takes place. And for him, he doesn't have that. And that's what he says in verse 35, I say this your own benefit, not to lay a, a restraint on you, but to promote good order, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. There's a difference in what you are able to do. Billy Graham and, and John Stott were friends and co-laborers. John Stott was really well known, particularly in the United Kingdom. Uh, maybe some of your younger ones aren't as familiar with him, but uh, an enormous name in evangelical Christianity and a man of great efforts and labors. Billy Graham wrote to him in a letter and he marveled at how much Stott was able to get done. And Stott replied back to Billy Graham and he reminded him that he was single after all. And he used that singleness to the glory of God. Tremendous amount of work that he was able to do. And this is what Paul's speaking of. It should be a pause for us to consider. Paul's not speaking of good, bad, right, wrong. He's speaking of a good and a better. He reminds us all that no matter what your circumstances are, you're called to follow the Lord as a first priority. That will look different depending on if you're married or not. And here Paul simply reflects what Jesus taught. In Luke 14, we hear Jesus say regarding the cost of discipleship, if anyone comes to me and does not hate, does not hate his own father, 
mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life, cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, certainly Jesus is using exaggerated speech here, hyperbole. It's similar to what he says in other places to cut off your hand, gouge out your eye if they cause you to sin. But hyperbole communicates truth. It's not meant to be ignored just because it comes across as hard. Oh, that's just the way Jesus talks. No, it's it's telling us a point of the priority that we're supposed to have. Following Jesus will cost you your life. He's the, the train engine and you and I are the train cars. We get in line behind him. It's not the other way around. We don't attach Jesus to the engine of our life so that he can come along with us to the places we're going. We follow. He leads. And these Corinthians were wanting to change their circumstances. The idea would be, well, I would really be able to serve the Lord if I got rid of my spouse. If I had a different spouse. If I was married. If I was free. If I could change my social status. Then I could really follow Jesus. Paul says, serve Jesus wherever you're at. Nothing needs to change for Jesus to be a priority in your life. Serving him means he leads, you follow. So Jesus tells us on the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. That's the priority. One New Testament scholar points out the tension then that this creates. First, We can effectively serve the Lord regardless of our circumstances. Wherever you are right now, you can effectively serve the Lord. And second, as Paul is telling us, we should try to put ourselves in whatever condition that will give us the least distraction in serving the Lord. Well, which is it? Yes. Stay unless because. You can serve God right where you're at. And at the same time, if you have the ability to change those circumstances... For fewer distractions, do so. It's not a good bad. It's a good better. And this tension is hard for us to live in. Paul gives us complete freedom to decide. He doesn't make these decisions for us. He just gives us his advice. Choose a godly path. Walk it out. Can you be single with satisfaction? Stay single. If you can't, pursue marriage. Years ago, I had a friend who drove a whole group of us crazy. Tom met Cindy. They were both in their 30s. They hadn't been married before. And he spent the next several months, and I mean this, he almost had a mental breakdown. Whether or not he should get married. And he kept coming to anyone who would listen to him, asking what he should do. He was wanting some... Clear sign from the Lord. Should I marry? Should I stay single? Should I marry? Should I stay single? And after three months of this, I was not very sympathetic. (laughs) Marry her or don't, but leave me alone. (laughs) Part of me was like, Cindy, are you really sure you want to marry Tom? God had given him a clear word. You're free to marry. You're free not to marry. And he did, and eventually everything straightened out. 
but we can have undue anxiety over what the Lord has given us freedom in. We're not free to sin, but there's all areas of life that we have freedom to choose, A or B. And we can rack ourselves trying so hard, which is the best one? You're free to choose. God is in both of those decisions. And Paul's advice here is saying, hey, if you can be single, I think it's better because in my life I've seen a greater ability to serve the Lord. But you're free. Do as you wish. And marriage for some has been a tremendous blessing in service of the kingdom. Others, not so much. John Wesley, amazing itinerant preacher and evangelist, did great things. By all accounts, his marriage was awful. He was even told by his brother and others not to marry the person that he did. He traveled way too much to be a husband who could attend his wife. And she was not a very agreeable or stable person herself. She eventually left him. And Wesley famously wrote this in his journal, the only comment that we have from him on his marriage. I did not forsake her, I did not dismiss her. I will not recall her. It was bad all the way around. And there have been others like that. Either poor marriages or they had lives that just lended themselves to singleness and they should have stayed single. Others, Martin Luther, Katrina, amazing pair. Normal marital struggles like everybody else, yet the two did far more than the sum of their parts. How, how much the kingdom work was blessed because of their union and what they were able to do together and what they provided. And, and the history is full of that. As Christians, we are to live with the Lord as, as the first priority before us. Married or single, it's the same. If the Lord is an afterthought for how your life is running or if He is not the center from which your life branches out, like this spokes on a wheel, then something's wrong. You see, we don't live with an attitude of like we're tipping God. You know, you go to a restaurant, they give you good service, you leave them a tip, you say, thank you for, you know, caring for my life. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a little time that I have to do some things for you right now. We don't tip God. He's the, the, the focus. It's the center in our life's goes out from that. The woman who anointed Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair, her priorities had changed because she met the living Jesus who had forgiven her her sins. Everything changed. When Peter said, Lord, we've left everything to follow you, it was because he and the other disciples had met the living Christ who had called them to himself. Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisee, He said, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Paul was forgiven much. And his life was completely turned upside down by Jesus. His whole purpose and focus had changed. His life was now rich in Christ. And he didn't want anything to get in the way of that. Even the hardships he endured for the gospel is like, my life is so rich in Jesus. It's a pittance. And because it was so rich, he's saying, you know, my way of singleness has just fueled 
my devotion and service to Christ. So I think it's better for the rest of you to follow me. But if not, then get married, fine. But man, I so love Jesus that I get to go and be a part of his kingdom work. And that's amazing. Contentment comes from having our eyes on Christ, not changing the circumstances. If only I could do X, then no. Look to Jesus, whatever your circumstances are, because that is where contentment flows. Not changing things. Look what he has done in your life. And for some, if you're hearing that and going, I, I just don't get it. Just not that important to me. It may be that you don't understand how much you have been forgiven. Because if you've been forgiven little, you will love little. But when Jesus turns your life upside down, everything changes. We, we stop living for the thing right in front of us, the, the, the immediate goals of if I get a good job, if I have a good family, if I do these things and I can retire and do this and all these personal interest items of affluence and prosperity or a good life. No, Jesus is the priority. Focus on that and let the rest of that follow in its train. It may follow, it may not, but your contentment's not coming from that. It's coming because Jesus is in front of you. And when your heart is beating for him, the circumstances aren't that important. You're not limited by God's ability to work through you. Like, oh, I was going to do amazing things for you, but well, I can't because that's where you are in Kalispell, Montana. Well, too bad. No, God's not limited by us. He's able to do amazing and wonderful things through his people with a focus and a heart that, that's centered on Christ. Centered on, on a heart that, that's filled to full because of the love that we have received from him. So whether you're married or whether you're single, that's the call. That our devotion, our purpose is in front of us. The goal is set before us. It's Jesus. He is returning. And we are called to be about the work of His kingdom wherever we're at to bring glory and honor to His name even while we await His return. Come, Lord Jesus, soon. Pray with me. Father, indeed, we are so grateful that You have called us from darkness to light, that You have given us Jesus. And Father, we pray that you would continue to fuel that by your Spirit, that you would show us how much we have received through him. Lord, help us to let go of our love for the things of this world. They can so entrap us. Father, free us from that. Free us to serve you right where you have put us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you indeed are coming again in the fullness of your power and glory. And until then, Father, may we be about your work. Make it profitable. Because all of this we want to do in your name. And this we ask through Jesus, our risen Savior.